Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is Dr. Kamar Adeliki. We're going to be talking about Ebola, practice of medicine in Africa, the differences between Africa here and the United States, a lot of issues that right now are in the news, and Dr. Adeliki is kind enough to have joined me. I really appreciate your taking the time. Thank you for having me. My first question for you, um, as a physician, and let me, I'll set it up for the audience, Dr. Adeliki actually practices in Wilmington, Delaware. He also practices in Nigeria. Uh, he teaches and helps teach in a residency program in Wilmington. He also teaches in a medical school um, in Nigeria and has a major role in a hospital in Nigeria, as a matter of fact. But you kind of are a lot more familiar the, to, about Ebola than many of us because you clearly have been seeing what's been happening in Africa. Could you describe you know, what you know care in Africa and why maybe it was more likely to have begun spreading there a little more quicker than it certainly would in the United States? Well, uh, again, thank you, uh, Brian, for having me on your show. Um, I think uh, Ebola virus, as you and I probably know, is not something new. Uh, it's a virus that have been uh, uh, probably first detected, I believe, in 1976, so almost about 40 years ago. And it has been found in different parts of the world, uh, notably in West Africa, but also, you know, has been shown, you know, some strain has been shown to, uh, to be uh, from uh, China and also, you know, from Philippines. So, but the, the, I think the problem with Ebola virus is that, you know, when it comes and people get in contact with it and it starts spreading, uh, the Ebola virus, you know, spread, as you know, through uh, direct contact, direct contact either because of, uh, you know, broken skin, someone who had a very uh, high level of infection and that broken skin or even mucous membrane, you know, and also, you know, of course, you know, from the body fluid, you know, blood, urine, saliva, stool, vomit, and of course, you know, people are, the, you know, from the soil of uh, clothing or bed sheets. So there's so many ways you can get it, but the bottom line about it is that Ebola virus only become contagious when the in you know the habitant, in other words, the infected patient is really sick, because that is when the viral load is concentrated in the you know, in the body uh, fluid. What we do know though is that uh, there is no report of any airborne of Ebola virus being transmitted, and I think the problem with you know the spread that we are seeing in West Africa is because of lack of basic hygienic care, you know, and precaution that we would have taken care of. I mean, we practice very commonly in the Western world. And then uh, the fact that there is no any uh, available facility to take care of these people when they are critically ill. And I think that is the reason why the mortality for that is almost approaching about 90%. Uh, in the Western, in, a, in the third world country. Now, as you would expect here in the United States, when there were cases that crept into the United States, more or less, we became more aware of it, it gained a great deal of attention. But as you say, this is not something new. It's something that has been a problem in Africa. But I was talking with you a little earlier prior to this interview, and one of the things you were talking about, though, was up until now, it's been relatively controlled. It hasn't spread at a dramatic rate. What's your thoughts about that? And obviously, anytime anyone gets this and suffers from Ebola, it's not a small thing, but it, it hasn't like spread through a major city of 40 million people, that sort of a thing. Yeah, and, and we have been quite very lucky because of that. I mean, if you look at majority of the countries that have been 
you know, epidemic in Ebola virus. You know, they are like Sierra Leone, Liberia. I mean, the population of uh, Liberia and Sierra Leone is probably about 40, 4 million, you know, each or to 6 million. And, you know, they tend to really be localized in the rural area, not in the big city. And I believe that it's probably because of, you know, we know the, you know, the original uh, or the originator of the Ebola virus, which a lot of people believe has probably come, you know, from the wild, you know, game animals, you know, like, you know, the fruit bats, chimpanzee, and antelope. Now, people who tend to really hunt these animals are in the rural area, you know, like the antelope, which is a, you know, a, you know, a big thing for, the, for us in Africa. So, and I think what happened is the Ebola virus, when it infects, Particularly, you know, if you know, there are almost about five different species, I believe. Those species that we have that are found in Africa have been very, you know, virulent. Whereas the, you know, the one that is found in China, you know, and the Philippines, I think it's called resting Ebola virus. They, they have been shown to infect human beings, but I don't think there's have been, there have been any human beings that have, that have died from it. So there are different species of Ebola virus. But I think the key thing about those people is that when you get infected, you know, people will get sick and they will die. They will die off. Now, the people who survive, particularly female, who, I mean male who survive, it has been shown that, you know, the, even the Ebola virus can still be, you know, detected in the semen. So when they're going to have sex with someone else, you know, then that person, if they have a very low immunity, and they can easily transmit, you know, to that person. You know, but I think, you know, when these games come back, you know, another animals or all the chimpanzee or whatever, antelope, another one get infected, it can, you know, start the cycle again, even though the people, the original people that have died are gone. But when this animal get infected and that animal get in contact, you know, with human beings, then the cycle continues. And I think that's the reason why Ebola virus has been around for so long, because when it comes in, it, it just wipe out everybody. Ninety percent mortality. You know, that's it. You know, those who survive, then they survive. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. I'm speaking today with Dr. Kamar Adeleki, and Dr. Adeleki is a person who is a cardiologist, obviously practices medicine at the highest level. At the same time, he practices here in the United States and at the highest level in Africa as well. Tell me a little bit about, we hear a lot of talk about the culture of medicine in Africa and that perhaps a lot of patients don't necessarily come in until it's too late for help, that they may not be as trusting of the medical community. Is that, is that widespread? Is that just in Western Africa? What's your sense? I think it's actually very... Take, for example, Ebola virus. One of the things that I think the experts are very afraid of. Now, people in Africa, they know, number one, that there's no cure for Ebola virus. They know that there's no vaccination, you know, for Ebola virus. So, therefore, when they go, you know, to hospital, they know that they're going to be quarantined. And they may not even be able to see their, you know, their loved one. So a lot of Africans still practice the ritual, you know, so-called, you know, uh, you know, the African medicine. So whereby, you know, they take them into the house and they start praying for them. Well, unfortunately, these people get more, you know, infectious, and then, you know, they can contribute, you know, to the uh, to the transmission. So a lot of the African people still believe in holistic medicine. They don't believe in the uh, the so-called, you know, uh, English medicine, you know, that which is what you and I practice, and that is a big thing. There's still no trust, 
you know, that the Western medicine can really, you know, cure a lot of the diseases that we have. And which is why some of the uh, common diseases that have been eradicated, you know, like uh, polio, for example, now in the northern part of Nigeria, you know, are being shown that people don't believe in the vaccine. In fact, they think the vaccine, some of them think the vaccine is purposely being used to infect people. So, you know, there's still not good trust, you know, between, you know, our people and, the, you, know, the, you know, the Western medicine. And that is a problem. What other barriers are there to treatment uh, for something like Ebola? Because clearly this is, this is a dramatic case. This is different than somebody with a strep throat or an ear infection. This is life and death. What are some of the other barriers as you see it right now in Africa? Well, the, the problem, as you know, Ebola virus, you know, every time I think about it, it actually, you know, it just reminds me of the HIV. You know, if you remember, you know, the, you know the, the time that you and I are going through training, you know, when the HIV, we thought, oh, no, I don't want to, you know, touch these people. I don't want to come in contact with them. You know, some of the doctors, even in Africa, you know, they still have that kind of, you know, stigma with Ebola virus, uh, which is very true. And secondly, is that they don't know uh, which patients we can trust. You know, when you and I know now that Ebola virus only causes trouble or only gets transmitted when you have a high viral load, and you have viral load when you are really sick. So, therefore, uh, that is number one. Number two is that, you know, when Ebola virus patients die, they die of, you know, of, uh, of, of critical illness. They are in shock. They are bleeding. They are dehydrated. And, of course, you know, there is no antibiotics. So what you need to do is intensive care, you know, treatment, which they do not have. I don't think of any other, even besides South Africa, probably some of the hospitals, like our hospital in Nigeria now, and in Ghana. I don't think there's any hospital in, in Africa that really have a high intensive care that can, you know, get these people through. And I think that is the key. People that come to the United States, I'm sure they're going to survive it. Why? Because we have sophisticated intensive care, you know, uh, treatment in this country. That is lacking in Africa. So the most important thing in Africa right now is avoidance. You know, is to really make sure that we find a way to isolate those people who are infected so that they do not go in contact, you know, with other people. The other thing in, in Africa is that when, when people die, you know, we have the habit of really touching and hugging them. And in fact, you know, if you look at those majority of people who have died, you know, are the family who are touching and hugging, you know, the dead body, uh, whereby, you know, the, you know, the virus is still quite very, you know, uh, voluminous. So that's a lot of things culturally and also from a standpoint of not necessarily having all the money and, and availability of treatment. What about people traveling? I mean, you travel back and forth from Africa, and you do it on a relatively regular basis. Have you noticed any changes, any concerns, any difference in security, uh, anything from your standpoint? Well, I think uh, one of the things that we are finding out now is people are becoming more hygienic. Uh, people are very careful. You know, they, are, they close, closely monitor you know, because, you know, when, you, when I fly to Nigeria, I go on Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines, you know, they, they use the 777 or 767, which may have over 200 passengers, you know, and they are really crowded. You know, so people are quite very careful now, you know, when they are touching people, when they are, you know, you know even shaking their hands. So, uh, but again, as I said, people really don't get infected. You can, they're going to get contagious until they are really, really sick. 
And when they are sick is when they start having fever, vomiting, nausea, you know, bleeding. That is when they become contagious. So people, the, you know, the awareness is there now, which is very good. You know, and people now knowing that, you know, if you have any fever, you quickly go to the hospital. In fact, I think the new recommendation now is that when you travel into the endemic area or you're just coming from the endemic area like this, you know, uh, you should really check your temperature twice a day for the next three weeks, which goes with the incubation period. And as soon as you have fever, okay, then you know it's time to quickly be checked out for Ebola virus. So we can just be doing the screening for, you know, people that don't have fever, you know, but that's the guideline. Then once you get checked out and your Ebola virus positive, then you need to be admitted right away. So people are really getting a lot of education now. But it had not affected the traveling. At least I just came back about, you know, four days ago, five days ago. It hadn't really affected, you know, uh, the major uh, countries like Nigeria. I'm afraid, though. I'm afraid because Nigeria is a big country. I mean, so far now, if you remember the guy that uh, got infected, you know, that died, right. uh, you know, uh, that is uh, Mr. Patrick Sawyer. Well, five people now have been identified in Nigeria as of today. The nurse that took care of Mr. Sawyer died. Mm-hmm. So now beside Mr. Sawyer, the nurse have died and five other people have been identified and they've been quarantined. So we are hoping and praying that those is going to be, you know, the the, the, that, that is it, you know, because uh, if it happened to Nigeria, yeah, Africa is in trouble. Because it'll spread through in a big city uh, much quicker, I'm sure. Yeah, 21 million people, 22 million people in Lagos alone. That is really huge. One last question, because we're almost out of time. What about traveling back and forth with the world, with international travel? We're seeing a lot more things coming from our part or other parts of the world because people travel so much. You travel a lot. Uh, do you ever get frightened? Not really. You know, the traveling is actually not bad. You know, the the what you get out of, you know, taking care of these people in Africa is just incredible. Our program is so incredible. Taking care of our children, the female, the adult, people that don't even have anything, that don't have any hope. I'm actually hoping one of these days you will make it there. Tell me a little bit about where you're working and what you're doing, because I think our, our physician audience would be interested. Well, currently now we are, you know, in the in Ibadan, but it's about 68 miles to Lagos. We started the open heart surgery program there. Uh, we did the first, you know, cardiac catheterization, angioplasty. We do a lot of congenital heart defect. We have done about 26 open heart surgeries. You know, that includes tetralogy of aloe, a lot of valvular heart disease, and also we are find, finding out that there are so many coronary artery disease people that are very young having, you know, massive heart attack. So it, it's quite very. We are we are now working in Lagos. Ibadan, which is, and then also we are starting uh, in Abuja, which is the capital city of Nigeria. Dr. Adelike, we run out of time. I want to thank you for joining and sharing your insights with us on primary care today. You do some wonderful work. Thank you very much for having me. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primary care today to download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. Thanks again for listening.